This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 87 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. We recently had a broadcast hangout with Andrew Vertigan, who was talking about the prayer life of a church planter. And in this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that hangout. You can find the full notes on everything that Andrew had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 87. So here is Andrew Vertigan. So the subject tonight I've been asked to speak to is that of prayer and the prayer life of the church planter. I feel almost as I've been asked to do that. Wow, how does anyone possibly speak about their prayer life and how God has used them or not? I want to just put a bit of context there. Um, I work for the Salvation Army. I'm minister in the Salvation Army. And for the last 28 or so years, I've been really pioneering and church planting various different communities of faith. It's been a massive learning journey for myself, and I have a philosophy which is that of a a lifelong learner. I wouldn't presume to suggest to anyone out there that I know the answers. I want to be really honest, and that's to say that prayer is something I have to really grapple with Compared to my wife, Andrea, who I share ministry with, who is gifted in intercession and petitioning God and finds it almost seemingly natural. But I recognize also that as I believe in a God who is more than able to do even what I begin to imagine. So here's a little bit of my life, a little bit of the insights. I'm a very open and transparent guy. Uh, Prayer for me is birthed out of my relationship with Jesus. And that sounds so simplistic, yet why is it so hard? In the busyness of every day, in the challenges that come our way as we engage with the world in which we live, in sometimes a very alien world, how do you maintain the the spirituality and the relationship with Jesus? I actually pray that tonight God the Holy Spirit would speak into your life as I share something of my own story and maybe some of the highs and the lows of trying to be an effective disciple and leader. Today, I was privileged to actually be in Manchester, and I was at the planning meeting for launch, which is a gathering happening in November where we're bringing together from all over Europe a number of church planters. It's going to be brilliant to have hopefully in excess of 500 people gathered who are committed to proclaiming the good news, the gospel, wherever they are found. I, 25 years ago, had a revelation from God, a vision, uh, I guess, depending on which context you come from. But God audibly spoke into my life and called me to a place which I had never been before. In doing so, um, my instant reaction was, me, God? Really? How? Bearing in mind, I come from a conservative evangelical tradition, which in its founding years was probably one of the most charismatic movements around the world. You know, we had stories, conversions and grace acts happening all the while. And to be fair, in the last few years, maybe we've been recalled back to that. 
So as we arrived in this place, we felt called to plant church. This is deeply significant as we walked the streets, as we sought God, as we asked of him, Lord, what does it require from us? We were led to a school. And as we were led to the school, it used to be a Second World War naval training base. And there were some outbuildings which were used by the caretakers. They were full of tractors and gardening tools and horticultural stuff, all manner of things that had been left there for years and years and years. And we simply said to the school, is there any way that we could use this? The reason I share this story is because God has gone before us. And the God of mission is the God whom through relationship and through intimacy and through prayer is the God whom we need to continually be seeking and renewing and reforming that relationship with. We went to the school and they said, you can have the building. And so as we started to pull out all the rubbish, there seemed something very significant that we were cleaning out and getting rid of stuff that had built up over the years. And as we removed every item from that building, we prayed the blessing of Jesus upon that place. It was simply an old rundown building. Why is this significant? The first thing that we did ever when we planted the church was to create a prayer space. Why? I'm not into buildings. We still don't own church buildings. But my reasoning was that God was calling us to make an impact and to discipline ourselves and to focus on prayer in these early months, weeks, days, however long it was going to be. Those buildings, those derelict buildings, were Second World War bunkers. It seems significant, therefore, that a army of salvation who were going to plant churches started in a prayer bunker. See the significance of that? Everything that we were going to do was birthed out of a prayer space, a rundown building, yet a place we dedicated to God. Prayer is deeply significant, but prayer will always be the place we have to find ourselves going back to. There are three great, great quotes I'd like to share with you. One from a bit of a hero of mine, if I'm honest, church planting, Bill Hybels, says in his book, Too Busy Not to Pray. There's something very important about that. Too busy not to pray. And then Spurgeon writes these words. The church prayer meeting is the powerhouse of the church. I love that. But this is the one I probably in my church planning experience have found the most real. Prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. Oswald Chambers. Little did I realise when I said yes to God, little did I realise when I said yes, I'd plant churches, just how significant the battle would be at times. Prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is where the battle is fought. My own journey of planting was birthed out of vision, as I've said, praying on the streets, praying in homes, 
praying with people. Now, I would imagine that every Christian, every disciple, every spiritual leader would say that prayer is important. I can't imagine there's any church planter that would not recognize prayer as being critical. So why is it that in my experience, 20 odd eight years, the prayer seems to be one of the things that isn't, where there is not as much time spent as there should be? There's no doubt in prayer is important. So why do I find it so difficult? I don't think I'm alone. You see, there's also another danger that I find with church planting today, and that's this, that when I started church planting 20 odd years ago, there were very few people who'd done it in the UK. So we were just saying, okay, God don't really know what to do. We better pray. Okay, God don't know where we're going. You better lead us. And we were seeking, we were hungering after God. But there's a real danger today, and that's this, that in all our strategies and all our trainings and all our academia, in all of our methodologies and all of our strategies, which are good and important and helpful, there's a real danger that we can forget the place of seeking after God. And when you've been doing this for a number of years, there's a real danger at times, that the church planter can say, I know how to do this. I want to be honest, that's who I am. Um, I don't really know how I'm doing this. But God the Holy Spirit does. And as I pray to a God who is the God of creation, the God of heaven and earth, the majestic God, the almighty God, I'm mindful of a God who can do more than I can imagine. And when I sit before him in prayer and when I wrestle with the things of God, I recognize time and time again, he's promised to us that we can do all things through him who gives us strength. The God of the universe is the God that we call Father. The problem with relying too much on our ideas and our strategies, our methods and our models is this. Times and seasons change. Relevance change, but the kingdom of God is unchanging. My heart and my experience suggest to me that the most effective kingdom church planters are those who prioritize prayer, who put prayer first and foremost, not as a tag on, not as an afterthought, but first. I was just reading the other day about Exponential in the US. It was actually the East one from 2016. And I just want to read to you, if I may, a quote from Jeff Leake. He discusses the different ways you should pray for your church plant. And rather than pleading for God to make things work in your favor, your prayers should seek to join God in what he's already doing. He stresses three things. Pray for place. Pray for promise. And pray for people. So the place of prayer in the early church, as we read the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts 2 piece that spoke about their devotion, their devotion to God, and they were devoted to prayer. The word devotion as a church planter speaks to me about entirety. Everything that I am, every sinew of my being is about devotion to God. 
devoted to prayer. Eyeballs, too busy not to pray. If we retrace our steps as church planters back to that early church, we recognize time and time again, you see Paul and Peter and those early converts wrestling with situations and circumstances. As they say in Acts 6.1, they devoted themselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. When they elected deacons and elders, prayer was pivotal to the election. When Peter was in prison, he prayed to God. In the midst of suffering and imprisonment, Acts 16, he prayed to God. If your vision to plant a church doesn't include a commitment to public and private prayer, then I want to suggest you're missing a critical piece of the jigsaw. I wouldn't dare to presume or be judgmental to say the church planters don't pray. I believe they do. And I believe in the power of prayer. But I'm not always convinced that every disciple, every spiritual leader and every church planter has developed a prayer base from which they operate. I want to suggest to you developing a prayer base is critical. The prayer bunker, can I just go back to there for a moment? In the prayer bunker, we asked two of the six formers at the school if they'd just come and paint a mural on the wall for us. They kindly did so. Both of them professed to not be Christians. Both professed to only have gone to church occasionally. So we simply said to them, look, this is a room where we want to be still and to think about God and to pray to him. And so the two of them just used their creative genius and painted a picture on the wall, a mural. And we left him to do it. And we came back to them a couple of days later. And on that wall, they'd painted a picture. And they described it like this to me. The picture depicts the sun, the moon and the stars, which God has set in place. They quoted directly Psalm 8. And as I stood there in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit fell upon me afresh. And I simply said to them, could you? Tell me, do you know Jesus? Do you know of Jesus? They responded, no, we've only been to church. We told you that occasionally for the weddings, the funerals, etc. And so I said, well, you have quoted directly from scripture. The prayer bunker was a place and a space where we were based from and where our vision to plant churches grew. As I read a number of years ago, personal prayer is critical. The church prayer book, crazy little thing that we used to have where people from the community would just come and write prayers and we'd pray for them. Praying across the streets as part of this strategy. Praying on our neighbours, knocking and simply saying, can we pray for you? Do you have anything to pray for? The world tells us today that people are not interested my experience is that time and time again, when we knocked on people's doors or asked them, is there anything that we can pray for? Time and time again, they would say, please, would you pray for? And they would write in our book or on a postcard. So personal prayer is a critical piece. The church prayer book was a critical piece. Daily prayer points actually saying today we're going to pray for. And we prayed every day in our prayer space. 
Why is that significant? Well, we still don't have a building in that place and we've planted four or five churches since then. Prayer walking was a critical piece of us as well. And we prayed and prayed and prayed along the streets. There was a story told one night we were praying down one of these roads and we, a group of us just stopped and we just asked the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what is it you'd have us pray for. And we stopped. We prayed and we became clear that we should pray into a situation that was prevalent there that we did not know, but the Spirit revealed to us. The end of that week in the local newspaper, there was a headline that had simply said a number of raids had happened and the issue that was there had been dealt with. I'm convinced absolutely when Christians walk the streets, the power of the spirit and the blessing of God falls upon those streets and we pray blessing on them. And so as we develop this strategy from our prayer space, we recognize personal prayer. We recognize the church prayer book, the daily prayer, the prayer walks, planned prayer walks. We clearly use social media and blogging. We would use anything to convey a message that we are here, believing in the God of hope, believing in the God who transforms. Why? because they were devoted to prayer. Prayer and mission are intrinsically linked. The power base, the base that we lead from, that place from where we come, is always the place of prayer. Every member, every convert, every person on the fringe, encouraging them to explore what prayer means to them. Claiming the promises of God, the God who is faithful, the God who is just, the God who knows all things, claiming those promises from God. Planting a church is a big deal. Prayer partners are key. We need to understand that we stand complete in Jesus. We need to understand we stand on his promises, but we stand together It's better where two or three agree together in prayer. Planting a church is a massive deal. Prayer partners are a vital part of our strategy. Every member of our church, from the youngest to the oldest, had a prayer partner. Satan does not want church planting to succeed. He does not want ground to be reclaimed. He does not want people empowered by the Spirit of God to get on the streets of the nation and claim what is God's. He thinks it's his. Well, it's not. And our prayers transform communities. Surrounding yourself in a team of prayer partners is a critical piece of our strategy. Many church planters, I believe, today in the UK and in the West underestimate the spiritual battleground. They underestimate their folly if they do not fully comprehend that this is serious frontline mission and ministry. You need to claim the promises of God. Prayer is to be, therefore, a priority of the church planter. For in addition to personal prayer, it's vital to grow prayer partners and for your team to pray. We sought to build family because in that devotion, that Acts 2 model, they devoted themselves to one another, to prayer, to the word, to each other. I think prayer is so vital that you should actively recruit 
prayer partners and you should actively recruit spiritual mentors and you should actively recruit the grandparents in the church plant very often it's a small team of people and it's not as broad generationally as it should be Will and Tom were 70 something when they moved to the area they were faithful saints godly people a real blessing and they wrote to us and they simply said Andrew we can't really do much we're old now we're infirm And I said, look, we've got a vision to build family church, intergenerational. We really need some saints, some wisdom, some grandparents. As a church planter, I actively recruit people who will cover me in prayer, who will cover my family, who will stand with me. And the blessing of God as Tom and Wynne in all of their years, I know every day they prayed for me. They prayed that the Holy Spirit of God would use me graciously and watch over me. We need to recruit prayer champions, people who are passionate about prayer. We need to recruit family and friends to join our prayer teams. We need to recruit prayer partners and buddies of all ages. We need to establish within the church plant a culture of prayer, not for the few, but for the many We need to understand and create a culture where reliance on the God who is able, the God who is I am, we need to recognize in prayer that he is the God whom we continue to go back to. And I just want to say in sort of coming into the end of this piece here, it sounds rather silly. Can I just suggest you don't forget to pray for people. Pray for God to bring the people to you who you need, the gifts and the skills. Pray for the people in your neighbourhoods. Pray for your neighbour. Love the Lord your God and your neighbour. Pray for your work colleagues. Actively encourage your friends and family to pray for their work colleagues, your contacts. Pray, people, into the kingdom of God. In all of your thinking, in all of your strategies, in all of your ideas, pray them in to the kingdom of God. Still not always sure how this works. But Lynn had never been to church. One day, we prayer walked around the area and she found herself coming to worship. She came into the foyer. She spoke to Andrea, my wife. And she said, I don't really know why I'm here. By the end of that service, she'd met with Jesus and Jesus had met with her and her life was changed and turned around. I believe that by us praying on the streets, by actively going out and praying, by having a clear strategy and policy to pray, not only from our base, but also for people, we pray people into the kingdom of God. And we did this. And I continue to do this by praying blessing. In a world that criticizes, pull downs and condemns, I want to bless the people of my neighborhood. I want to pour rich blessings upon them. And so having led from a very clear strategy of prayer, of how to from the prayer bunker, from the prayer book to the prayer walking, 
to the prayer partners and buddies, to understanding the power of prayer birthed in the presence of God, to recognizing the importance of building team within that. My final act would be this. It continues to be the same as it always has been. And Jesus went to a quiet place. The church planter needs to continue to go to quiet places. To come away from the busyness and to be still. To listen to God. May I suggest to you this. When the disciples sat at the feet of Jesus and they said these words, Lord, teach us how to pray. And there was this beautiful moment where the disciples sat at the feet of Jesus, a place of learning. The people who were going to build the church, if you like, some of the foremost church planters. And they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Why did they say that? Because it's clear that for the mission of God to be effective, you need to spend time in the presence of God. And in spending time in the presence of God and praying and communing with God, it is then that we rightfully can pray the blessing on our communities. Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer is birthed out of the presence of God in a devoted relationship and in a God whom we trust. I'm not sure that's a strategy or not, but it's one of the lessons I continue to learn as I seek to be what God wants me to be as a person that plants churches. And can you just tell us uh, about some of the churches that, that you're involved with? Just paint a bit of a picture of what you're doing and who you're working with. Okay, um, yeah, certainly. <laughs> so um, I, mean, I work, I lead up for the Salvation Army. Um, as I've already said, a conservative evangelical tradition. Um, we plant churches all over the country, um, but I now head up church planting for the Salvation Army in the United Kingdom. We've partnered with organisations such as Forge UK, Alan Hirsch, um, was linked up with Fresh Expressions, uh, a massive movement amongst the Anglican and Methodist Church. We also are planting churches in many multicultural settings today. I guess, if I'm honest, many people say, are they Salvation Army? And I then have to unpack, well, what do you mean by that? And everyone seems to think that it's band and timbrels and tambourines. Well, in fact, you know, our history is actually of a very charismatic, uh, Pentecostal almost, uh, tradition. So we have many, many different churches that have been planted. We actually are rediscovering the pioneer DNA of the Salvation Army. Um, so we have uh, uh, Roma churches, um, a Hungarian church now. We have youth churches, cafe churches. We have um, 614, which is like urban poor settings. And we have as just about more or less as broad a canvas as you can imagine. I'll try and keep my answers as succinct as possible, Tom. That's good. That's helpful. That just gives us a bit of uh, context for it. So then um, that kind of brings me on to another one then. You were talking about the prayer base and you gave the example of kind of the church that you're involved with and the bunker. Yeah. Uh, and so is this something setting up like a, 
a base as a kind of location for it, something that you would have all the churches that you're working with do? And what are some of the other ways people have done it apart from yeah, getting... I, I think it's important that we don't see prayer as a building-based experience, that prayer is more to do with life and community. It just happens that in that context, in the middle of a school, we all know the, is it the 88 Education Act says in the UK you should not do church in school. Ours was a comprehensive school, but there was something significant about God giving us a place in the midst of that context. But I'm also a great believer in rhythms. Um, I, I love the new monastic stuff that particularly is about rhythms of grace and community. And I think also in a sense of there are certain places where the street is the best place to stand and pray. I live near the Yorkshire Dales now. How could you not go into the Yorkshire Dales and spend time praying in the quiet places? And I think it's always got to be determined by the context in which you are. I love praying on the streets. Um, we need to start capturing once more God's intention rather than what the world and the media tells us. We believe the lies of the world, I think, more often than not. I was with a, a very dear Baptist friend the other week who just goes on the street and just said, can I pray for you? And more often than not, one in two, I think he says, they say, yes, please. And so imagine if every disciple had that attitude to prayer. Yeah, I think we'd be flourishing. I think we would be needing more churches. Yeah, very good. Um, so across the Salvation Army, then, you, you head up church planting. Uh, now, what have you got kind of corporately for, for the church planting movement and how, how are you praying into that and drawing others into pray there? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I mean, I have a bit of a dream and I am a dreamer. So uh, 27 years ago, 28 years ago, I felt that God gave me a real direct prophecy for the Salvation Army which was, if you like, and it's going to sound a bit pretentious, so I hope it's not coming across this way, a bit like John the Baptist going before Jesus, that we were being called to go and prepare the way because there was going to be another generation rising up, a Joshua generation. And what has happened is, I don't know if you know the history of the Salvation Army, but um, in the first 25 years, most of the new church plants in the Salvation Army, when we left the, the, the Methodist Church in 1878, were birthed by 17 to 25-year-old, predominantly girls. And what we've done is our strategy has been to unashamedly go after young adults and to release them and to use, dare I say, their naivety of faith, but their energy as well. That's been one very clear strategy. We're also actively recruiting, and I use the word recruiting intentionally. I think when I see Jesus going towards uh, Andrew and the first disciples, he saw something in them that he recognized could be used for the kingdom. And so I, when I have conversations, I'm always on the out lookout for, well, oh, they could be a really good church plant, or we're using the language of pioneering particularly, because pioneering into new areas and new communities, et cetera, today. We also have got an assessment and process in place now, so we assess and critique. Um, if someone feels called to this, we want to support them. And we also put coaches alongside people. So we've now got a number of experienced church planters who help myself and Andrea, my wife, to support, to encourage and coach. I think there's an even more key piece here, though, which is we need to get out of our denominational traps. You know, I've learned more 
from my non-Salvation Army friends than many of my Salvation Army friends. And why wouldn't I want to celebrate the unity of God? Why wouldn't I want to celebrate the body of Christ? So today in Ivy in Manchester, I've met with half a dozen to eight different church traditions and we're all committed to raising up church planters. Yeah, very good. Let me just kind of push into this a little bit further. So uh, just to, to show us what it looks like in practice. Imagine I'm 18 years old. You've just met me. You think... There's something in there. There's some potential. Yeah. yeah. What kind of journey? Talk me through the journey that you'd want to take me on then over the next. So we would years. normally we would normally place them with a church planter or in a church plant, and they would become like an apprentice, and so we apprentice them alongside experienced leaders or leadership teams, and we would. Um, we haven't gone down the route of the academic. We've gone round more the experiential. So um, I personally fear that the church has pursued academia. Uh, you know, my ministry didn't come with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I'm not saying that we shouldn't learn, but I'm fearful that we may have gone down that route too far, when in fact we need then almost know too much, if that makes sense. So that young 18-year-old, as you're describing yourself, and you're obviously not far off, to be honest, um, would would be put in a place where the placement's key, the leader's key, and we would then support them, and we would look inside with mentors and coaches as well. They would then go into other places where we'd bring some particular training, and we gather them together once a year as well, where we come um, together for a celebration, and we would also put them through a critique assessment process that will look at their giftedness, uh, their particular character. And we try and, you know, Alan Hirsch has just written a great book called 5Q in which he talks about the fivefold gift mix of Ephesians. And I particularly love that apostolic and understanding the giftedness. And if we can release the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists in their gift mix in the right places, I think we would find that growth would happen more naturally. So that's really how we do it with them. Very good. Okay, so uh, let's talk about kind of the, the prayer partners then that you were referring yeah. to. So sure. There have been questions about that. Um, what are some of the ways you go about recruiting those people? So Okay, so basically, yeah. So we've created a culture where prayer partner is the norm, not the exception. Yeah. So everyone that comes through our door within weeks is invited to have a prayer partner. Mm-hmm. And we, ha- we intentionally for a time and a season, the child or the younger person was the lead person rather than the adult. And we found that God started to release in us something mind-blowing which was the faith of children when they pray taught the adults far more than the adults taught the children and we found this real spark that started to take place between these children who just say yeah Jesus I thank you you've done this and and, and I remember praying with one of the young people who was one of my partners and, and I was going through some stuff and I just said will you pray for me and they just said yeah thank you Jesus and part of my head went well, you haven't even prayed for what I asked you for. And then there was a moment where I went, yeah, you have, but you're believing in faith that Jesus has answered this. And so the young people, um, 
basically sign up. They say, yeah, I want to have a prayer partner. The adults do the same. And we try and match them up as best we can. Sometimes you have two or three. Sometimes you have one. I had one that I had for many years. In fact, I'm still in touch with them. So we looked that way. We would do um, social activities together. We would do some of our gatherings, our, our worship experiences were geared around prayer partners. And that's where we kept building the image up, the culture. Others, we would do prayer journeys and we went on journeys together uh, away from that. We also didn't operate a Sunday only mindset. So even when we worshiped on a Sunday, we would say, for example, today is prayer partner Sunday. I want you to go and walk along the river. And we would just go and spend time together. So it could be as broad as that. We did covenant, though. So when anyone became a prayer partner, we signed a little paper that said, I commit to this. Mm. Because it wasn't just about praying for them or with them. This was a covenant thing we wanted to offer before God. Yeah. And that's, I'm still thinking of little Jordan, who when he came to our church was 18 months old. And, and bless him, he came from an impoverished family. He ran around with a nappy that was full all the way around his knees. And he used to think, oh, no, please stop running around. But to see him grow up to be a beautiful young man and praying that into him is something that the, I think the church partner probably gets more than others, pastors, because you journey with these people in a longer time and season. So that's how it worked. Yeah, so would the person who you're sending out to, to lead a, a new work to pioneer something, yeah. would, would they have partners in the sending church who are praying for them? And then yes. how, how, does kind of, how, how do you structure the communication and prayer in those kind of relationships? Okay, thank you. So part of the coaching piece is a critical piece. We want to sponsor people, we want to support them, we want to bless them on their way. So I'm thinking of two young people who are 25, 26, who live in South London right now. And when they were sent out, they basically went to Pioneer on their own. And we, we basically inducted them on the street where they were going to. No buildings. They stood on the street and we prayed God's blessing on them. And people from their home tradition continue to journey with them and support them. They, they do that through, as I said, through the email systems, through blogs, through written correspondence. But there is still an intentional link up. And we've now created also um, coaching groups for pioneers. So in our national gathering, when we get together in February, they will all be in groups of 10 or 8, which are all buddies and partners as well. So we do it in many different ways and many different points. Very good. Uh, let me kind of move it on to sort of the individual prayer life yeah. now uh, of the planter. So uh, one of the things that kind of came to, to my mind as we were preparing today is w when you're planting something, that's like your baby and it's kind of in, in your head all the time. Yeah. And I find when I'm praying so often, uh, I'm praying for the plant and for the work and for the people and all of it, and, and sometimes almost to the extent that kind of thinking, hang on, this is too over-dominated my prayer life, and I need to be thinking wider. Do you have any kind of thoughts or, or comments about getting that balance well in your prayer life? Uh, I must confess, Tom, my biggest challenge is I'm too much of an activist. <laughs> um, I mean, my, if my wife sat here now, if Andrea sat here, it's Andrew and Andrew, if Andrea sat here, uh, she finds it, I mean, she just spent the day praying. 
you know, that's just what she does. And, and I don't mean just what she does, that's who she is. Whereas I've got to really focus and discipline myself in the busyness. If you gave me a group of 10 people to have a conversation with Jesus, I, I'd spend all day doing it. Yet I wrestle with that prayer dynamic. One of the things I've done is um, I'm a great believer in people holding me accountable. So um, everything that I do, even this sort of thing, is already all over my mentors today and already over my prayer support team. So they're praying as I share this. Um, They're all on my um, social media accounts tonight praying into this. They're holding me accountable. They will watch the transcript afterwards and they will check what I've said. And if I deliver any point, anything on there, they say, well, hang on, Andrew, that's not what we know. Then they will come back to me. And the other thing I do is I have a guy who's, um, uh, I'm probably going to get shot, never invited back again. I have a guy who's not a Christian who teaches me a lot about my life stuff and management stuff. And he just keeps asking me the question, have you sold out yet to what you believe? And, and and what he's doing in that is I, I, I almost deliver. I'm not wanting him as a non-Christian to judge me. I'm wanting him to critique me and hold me accountable in a way that maybe some Christians wouldn't do. Does that make sense? Um, in a sense of he's asking a different set of questions. Um, so I've built high accountability around me. Um, so, Kev, still, Kev, I'm on your own prayer life a little bit. Uh, Can you think of some examples of stuff that you've prayed for and kind of almost straight away you've seen answers? And then also some examples of stuff where it's been a long old haul, but you've seen it kind of answered uh, after a lot of persistence. I mean, there's the one story I tell which you're going to think, oh my goodness, this guy is bonkers. Um, And I am at some level. Um, yeah, a, a miraculous sign of God. I mean, I, and I do believe in the miraculous. Um, uh, this lady, <laughs> this lady collapsed and died in our church service a number of years ago. She had a new convert sat alongside her who was a GP, and the other side of her was a community nurse. And this old lady um, collapsed in a massive heart attack in the service. Now that's my sermon. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. What happened was this, um, this new convert, the doctor said, and my wife said, well, why don't we pray? And I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm like the senior pastor. And you're asking me to pray. And this lady, the GP had got um, an ECG machine. We got flatline. We got the printer and everything. And you're actually asking me to believe enough for this prayer. And we did pray, and the church team prayed, and we laid hands on her, and and 10 minutes later, she actually came back round. Now, there are those who will even now, as they hear that, go, well, she obviously fainted. But we had a GP there, and he had the flat line. Irrespective of that, I have no doubt that God answered that prayer in that moment for her good. And what happened on the back of that was her sons, who had not been reconciled to her for many, many years, uh, bedside were reconciled back to her. And God was glorified in that. So that was one where literally in minutes, and, I'm th- and I still to this day don't understand it, but I believe it. Mm. And then there are other situations where people dear to my own heart, I've been praying for for years. Um, my wife actually was ill with chronic fatigue for a number of years. 
And the amount of ministers who came up to me and said, well, why don't you pray for our healing? And I'm thinking, well, don't you think I'm doing that daily? And there was something in that about, Andrea would say, that God was teaching us a lot at that time. Part of me just wanted God to heal her. And it seemed as if God was quiet. But he still kept asking us to pray for that. And what he's done is actually he's used that situation for his glory in a very different way. One situation seemed a quick answer to prayer. Another one has taken, goodness, 12, 13, 14 years and still doesn't appear to be answered. And then we get into this whole piece. Well, why does God seemingly answer some prayers and not others? And I I don't think we should... um, discredit who we are nor god by making out that we know the answers to that for me my honesty of spirit is i don't know but i still trust god with that answer so a lot of people who plan churches don't do it as a full-time job um so they'll either be part-time or doing it on the side or working a totally different schedule um that's busy Uh, if if they've got a full-time job family church what advice would you have for helping people in that situation get a good rhythm of prayer in there? Yeah, I think, yeah, the rhythm is key. I mean, whilst I am a minister, um, I actually did tent making for a lot of years, but I use it as part of my ministry. So I was a bricklayer before I became a minister. And then I started teaching young people how to bricklay and I gave them qualifications through our work in the school. We did it that way. I think the key to, for me, The key to rhythms of prayer is about having a partner that journeys with you. So in a sense, it's easier. It's that classic partnering thing, you know, go to the gym. It's easier if you've got a gym buddy. I'm a big rugby man. If you, um, it's always good to have someone in relationship with you. And I think then you get the mutual accountability piece as well. I think if if you're doing a tent maker model and, and you're in a sense, I, I can't separate it because I don't believe in the secular sacred divide. You know, you just do ministry in different ways in different places and different times. I think what you do need is someone who is in oversight or who you hold accountability to who can say, can you talk to me about your encounters with Jesus this week in your prayer life? And I think that's where, you get the level, and I start tonight very honestly and openly. I, you know, even though when in our correspondence before you spoke about, you know, the importance of, well, this is public forum, I do believe that we should share who we are with transparency at heart. And then people will go, oh, I quite like this is real. I'm not in any way saying I've got this sorted. And I think what you do then is you say to, you know, Tom, how's your prayer life been this week? Tom, what have you been hearing from Jesus this week? What insight did you get from his word this week? What have you wrestled with this week, Tom? How did God reveal himself in that? And I think that that's the conversational piece. But to do it, it might be, I have to say, Tom, do you know what? We've not sat down for a few days or a few weeks. Let's take a day away. When you're next free and you build it into your diary. So everyone that we mentor, we say, Where's your diary? Show me your day where you take quiet time. And you're building building bricks that are really important. Good. Um, another kind of area of, of prayer that it'd be good to, to ask you about is 
kind of running prayer meetings and kind of yep. within your church plan you want to get people praying together. Um, yep. I, I guess the first point is for, for a lot of people kind of in churches, they can see like prayer meeting as another way of saying evening off uh, and kind of <clears throat> you get a minority of people who come. How do you kind of avoid that, build a, an excitement, like this is where the action is? How do you get that in the people? Yeah, I, I mean, we've got, I have to be honest, I've sat in some meetings, let alone prayer meetings, that have bored me witless, if I'm honest. Um, expectancy is a critical piece. You know, I don't pray to a God who's far removed. I pray to a God who's intimately close. And I believe in a God who is able to do that. And I think I, I used that story a little minute, minute ago, once you've experienced the supernatural outworking of God, there's a hunger and an expectancy that comes in the prayer meeting. And I think sometimes I rarely lead the prayer meetings deliberately because actually I want to be party to that. I don't want to be at the front. I want to be part with the church as we seek after God. And I think expectancy is key. There's something about, you know, I said earlier about the prayer book and people sharing prayers. When you can go say, hey, we want to pray God's blessing into this, and then you see answers to prayer, it's great to be able to go back and say, can we just say, have you seen God revealed in this yet? So I think expectancy is key. I think you just need to time them right as well. You know, so often we tag the prayer meeting either onto five minutes before the church service or on a Monday night when no one's around. You know, okay. Why do, why do we have to do things the same way we always do it? Why not next Sunday at 11 o'clock when you all gather for worship today, we're just going to pray to God and we're going to seek after God. Why do we always expect everything to be the same? So I think creating a place of expectancy, but also at the same time, a sense of not knowing what's coming is a key piece for us. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder that you can find the full notes on everything that Andrew had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 87. See you next time.